This episode of the Movie Musical Shakedown is brought to you by Constant Contact. Send great-looking emails that get big results for your business. Powerful stuff. Learn more at ConstantContact.com. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? This is it! Five, six, seven, eight. See what we can do with it. You're gonna make me believe that you belong on that stage. Dancing on that show is my dream. Tommy, can you hear me? I can't make anybody fall in love, remember? Oh, but Jeannie, she's smart and, and fun and pretty. Beautiful. She's got these eyes that just, and this hair, wow, and her smile. Ah, Ami, c'est l'amour. But she's the princess. To even have a chance, I'd have to be, hey, can you make me a prince? Oh, let's see. Chicken a la king? <laughs> no, the Alaskan king crab. I hate it when I do that. Caesar salad. Et du brute? Nope. Aha, to make a prince. Now, was that an official wish? Say the magic words. Genie, I wish for you to make me a prince. All right! Yo, yo, woo, woo, woo. First, that fez and best... Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Movie Musical Shakedown. I am your host, Mr. Chris Peterson, founder, editor-in-chief of Onstage Blog and onstageblog.com. Thanks so much for joining us for what should be a really insightful discussion about one of my favorite animated movie musicals of all time. That's right, we're doing 1992's Disney's Aladdin right here. We figured that with the brand new live action remake that just came out this past weekend, what better time to go back in and watch this animated classic, definitely the height of what's been known as the Disney animated renaissance and featuring some of probably the best vocal work of any Disney movie. Seriously, I'll, I'll put the, the vocal work up in this movie up against any animated movie, period. It's that outstanding. Obviously led by the incomparable Robin Williams and others. But really excited about this podcast, talking about a lot of things from its design to its songs to songs that we wish were in the film. Uh, also breaking down some pretty interesting trivia notes behind the scenes. I've got a great co-host with me this week, my wife, Nicole. I, I will forewarn all of you. Uh, we recorded this pretty late last night, uh, and we had a long day. We have a five-year-old son, so uh, you know days days are long and uh, energetic. And you know by the time the day is over, we're we're pretty much you know exhausted. So if anybody's listening to this and saying, "My gosh, they sound just tired," it's it was a long day. What, what can I tell you? But anyway, um, I'm really looking forward to it because again, she's got some great perspective and um, definitely looked at this movie. A lot differently than I did. So should be a great discussion. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to be joined with Nicole. And we're going to break it all down. But first, as always, here's the trailer. I think there's something written here. Why? Ten thousand years will give you such a crick in the neck. Say the magic words. Genie, I wish for you to make me a prince. 
He has the lamp. We're never gonna get a hold of that lamp! Out of here! Do you trust me? A whole new world! Don't you dare close your eyes. A hundred thousand things to see. Hold your breath Let me share this whole new world with you. Keep your hands and arms inside the carpet. We are here. And welcome back. And I am now joined by my beautiful, patient, wonderful, I mean, just all platitudes mm-hmm. co host, Miss Nicole Eager Peterson. How are you? Dandy. I just used your maiden name. You did for it's no weird. reason. I yeah, know. I mean you don't you don't hyphen your name, so no. Yeah. Well, anyway, <laughs> glad to have you back on this podcast. Thanks. Uh, today we are talking about, in my opinion, is probably if not one of the best, the best animated film in Disney's catalog. What do you think about that? I disagree. Really, that's a bold claim for me. Why? Well, no, I mean, I mean you, you, it's I a just, step too far, you think? I don't think, I think it's top 10. Okay. But I don't think it's the best. You wouldn't put it in like the top five? Uh, no, I wow. wouldn't. All right, well, we'll get into that. We'll definitely <laughs> get into that. Um, movie, just to get some factoids out of the way. Mm-hmm. Movie came out Thanksgiving weekend of 1992. Mm-hmm. Big memory misconception on a lot of people thinking that this was a summer release. It was not. A lot of people think it was summer. I've talked to more than a couple of people that said this was a summer movie. No. Thanksgiving 1992. It was made on a really paltry budget for the time. It was made on uh, $28 million uh, for animated film. That would not happen today. But went on to gross $217 million. Uh, making it one of the highest grossing animated films uh, of all time. So The VHS came out in the summer, though. That's probably why people remember it. That is probably Because the first why. time I saw it was in the summer. That's true. That's true. Um, interesting cast. Mm-hmm. Got a, pu- a bunch of big names, and then you've got you know a bunch of no names, basically, mm-hmm. or people that you would not know um, from, from, their, from their name. Obviously, we have to start with... Robin Williams yes. playing the genie. Let me ask you this. I mean, you know, this was this was the peak of Robin Williams's career. I yes. mean, he he you know just come off some really big projects. Uh, this is right when he was doing like Hook and, and Toys and kind of right in that era, uh, just before things like you know Mrs. Doubtfire. But uh, his performance in this makes this movie right. in my in my mind. I mean, it's it's incomparable. In some ways, what do you? I mean, if you if you take you back to you know when you first saw this movie, when you mm-hmm. watched it since, what are some of your feelings on Williams's performance throughout? Well, as a kid, he was one of the few adult celebrities that I really recognized. I feel like, like it came out in nineteen ninety two. I was seven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had just turned eight over that summer when I saw it. So. Um, there weren't a lot of adult celebrities that I really, you know, connected to or recognized, but I knew who he was and he made me laugh and he made my younger brother who was five at the time laugh and it's got to count for something. Yeah, right? definitely. Definitely. It, it is, it is one of the most memorable animated characters 
across any studio. I think. Well, and I think also like Mork and Mindy was on Nick at Night at that point and all of that. So mm-hmm. I feel like even though some of his films that were made for adults I couldn't see, I my parents showed me who he was and Mork and Mindy, and he's still making all those silly faces and voices and all of that. So it was easy to make that connection. Well, you know what's funny is I, I read an interview and he he'd said like the role that more people said to him, like, you know, called him or mm-hmm. um, commented on was Mork. Mm-hmm. Like he'd be walking across the street in New York and someone would be like, hey, Mork. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is Robin Williams who's done – who who's won so Oscars? Who's done know. you know done so much, and yet that's the role that he he would be catcalled the most yeah. on, which I think is hilarious. Uh, on that end, also you have uh, Linda Larkin playing Princess Jasmine mm-hmm. uh, in this very another classic, very identifiable voice. Uh, you're gonna have to pr- help me pronounce his last name, Scott. I think it's Weiner. Weiner, okay, yeah. from Full, Full House. House. Yeah, I know he was 17 when they recorded this. I know. <laughs> a crush early childhood oh crush my goodness you? well so we can get into that later but i think okay. that is the only thing looking back on it that really carried me through this movie <laughs> all right robin williams humor and my intense crush on aladdin <laughs> gotcha uh playing jafar you have jonathan freeman providing one of the great voices villain voices of all time uh, for Disney films. I mean, he's he's absolutely pitch perfect as Jafar, which is also why he actually performed the role on Broadway, actually, Wait, which I thought was pretty cool. You know what? I always thought, this is going to sound terrible, but I always thought it was, uh, what's his face from Rocky Horror? Tim Curry? Yeah. Tim Curry? No, but we'll get into that a little bit later because okay. I have an interesting factoid about that. Um, Frank Welker? The voice of, um, you know, Decepticons and one of the great cartoon voices of all time. It's Frank Welker. You know, Ray, he played Ray Stantz in the, the real Ghostbusters. Uh, he plays Abu. He also does the voice of the Cave of Wonders and Raja uh, as with a tiger. So he's he's like all over the place. Then you've got Gilbert Gottfried. Who's awesome. Playing Yago, who's incredible. And, and the late, great Douglas Seal playing the Sultan. And just so you just have a really strong uh, vocal cast left and right throughout this entire film. But um, yeah, no, just absolutely incredible, incredible cast work on that end. Well, just a couple of facts, notes that I had about this movie. I think it's one of the few Disney movies that's probably remembered more for its acting and its mm-hmm. cast and its dialogue than it is for its music. Yeah. And as good as the music is, it's incredible. You've got some real classics in there. Mm-hmm. It's yet... I think people just remember the performances more, which I think is why Robin Williams is was right. as valued and treasured as he was. I mean, you know, I think that's that definitely jumps out. Kind of a cool factoid I find out: Robin Williams uh, apparently had so much improv in this film. Uh, he he laid down about sixteen hours of tape for the directors to choose from, and because in the final cut of this film, this is true. There is so much improv that he's doing, it actually cost Disney the chance to be eligible for best screenplay for this movie. Uh, like it was deemed ineligible because he just <laughs> improv too much of his role. Um, one, one of the one things I love about this movie is this was right at the dawn of the technology that mm-hmm. we're starting to see in, in a lot of these films. You can tell. And you can tell. Yeah, we, we're starting to see computer animation. We saw a little bit of it in Beauty and the Beast with the sweeping 
uh, ballroom scene and things mm-hmm. like that. And then you see it here with the carpet ride sequence, yes. which even watching it today, yet the technology looks dated, but from the point of view, it's still a really kind of a thrilling moment, right? You mean when they're trying to escape the cave? Cave, yes. yes. Yep. Um, yes. And I remember thinking as a kid how absolutely crazy and cool that was. And just rewatching it now, you know, on our fancy TV and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all of that, it's the, it seems very outdated, but again, cool for the moment. And the fact that they were able to achieve that in 1992 is pretty good. Pretty awesome. Pretty now awesome. it looks like it's just a video game, but that's okay. Speaking of which, this movie also spawned probably the best Disney video game. Oh, really? Uh, of the time. Oh, yeah. Sega Genesis Aladdin. Incredible. Yeah. Some people who, who are listening to this podcast know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, some of the impressions that were showcased by Robin Williams in this movie are Schwarzenegger, Ed Sullivan, Groucho Marx, William F. Buckley, who I had no idea who William F. Buckley is until I saw this movie. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah, and that was that was strictly for parents to, who got that one. Uh, Robert De Niro, obviously, mm-hmm. Arsenio Hall, Rodney Dangerfield, Jack Nicholson, Peter Lorre, and Alec Guinness. But apparently, and I, I got to try to go back in there and see where he might have done this, but apparently he also does Ethel Merman and Carol Channing. But that might have been on the cutting room floor. I, I'd have to go back and, and look at that. Um but he does – I think with Carol Channing, he does – that's when he does the – he kisses him. Like, I can't make anybody fall in love. And he turns – his head turns into lips. He does kind of a voice oh. there. That might be Carol Channing. I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, apparently they're in there. Interesting enough, for the release in India, Disney actually replaced Ed Sullivan's voice with a very popular, popular cricket commentator because people in india would have no idea who it's often is that makes sense um so what are other general notes or things that you just happen to love about this film um i was curious if the representation of middle eastern cultures if it was remotely accurate or did they really bastardize things like i just i don't know enough about it it's a great question so i actually did a little bit of research on this and um, there is a couple of yeesh moments that I'll talk about later on. But for the most part, I couldn't really find a lot of backlash about the design, so to speak, mm-hmm. being a generalization or a stereotypical mm-hmm. or anything like that. It sounds like, you know, at least at the time, no one was really thinking about that. Right. Um, and actually, to be quite honest, quite honest with you, with the 2000, you know, the movie that just came out, the live action version, I haven't heard any controversy mm-hmm. over representation in that either. So, no. I, I mean, I think people are understanding that it is a fantasy, but at the same time, right? You know. Well, even we, we talked about this when uh, Melody and I did Pocahontas, mm-hmm. where you know there wasn't a lot of things that were necessarily egregious. There were a lot of things that were you know incorrect, if you will, right. but at least they were attempting to try to right. get it right, so to speak. You, I think you see a lot of that in in here, but there are some things that definitely you know. I don't know if it's uh, haven't aged well or, you know, it probably should have not have done that. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll talk about that in the each moments, but. Um, um, I had a serious crush on Aladdin. Uh, I love Raja. I need a pet tiger. There you go. Let's see. Well, actually, I'm so glad you brought up your crush on Aladdin, uh-huh. both vocally and look. Right. Yes. right. Okay. So interestingly enough, when they did the original design, Aladdin looked a lot different. 
and Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was in charge of Walt Disney Animation at the time, wanted Aladdin to look a little bit more masculine mm-hmm. and you know buffer, if you will. Um, so they basically modeled his look after Tom Cruise. Oh, there you go. So if you have a crush on Aladdin, then you might have a crush on Tom Cruise. <laughs> um, and interesting enough, Jasmine was modeled after Jennifer Connelly, which really? I mean, this is actually right after. If you um, think about it, this, Labyrinth. is right after. Well, I was going to say Rocketeer. So this is like right around Rocketeer age, Jennifer Connelly. So that might actually make a little more sense, to be quite Mm -hmm. honest with you. So, Uh, Let's see. Oh, it takes forever to even get to the genie. The buildup to that part is over a half hour long. Yes. Yes. And that, I mean, even, I mean, again, I've seen this movie so many times, but I was sitting there just going like, when is Robin Williams coming? Come Mm -hmm. on. Like yeah. the build up to that took a long time. Um, do you think kids today understand all of the genie's impressions? No, <laughs> I, I honestly don't. And and I I haven't seen the live action film yet. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm going to. Um, I don't know if Will Smith does impressions. It's it's. I think it's. And when you're doing it live action, I think it's tougher because you're inserting a lot of pop culture references into. Right a live action film, you know, it, it just doesn't really work. In an animated film, you can kind of get away with that. Right. So, Well, because he um, literally changed forms. So. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think the, the, I don't think kids, if I, again, when our son is old enough to watch this and, you know, oh, he's seen it. five years, but to understand like the to dialogue. It, yeah, yeah. I don't think he's going to understand who Groucho Marx is and, no. you know, things like that. So um, I constantly, I, one thing that always makes me giggle about this movie is Prince of Boo like he, <laughs> um, just the fact that Jafar keeps calling him Prince, Prince of Boo Boo yes. is just beautiful to me. Um, any other general notes before we move on to the categories? Uh, not particularly, no. All right. Well, folks, we know sometimes when we watch these movie musicals or these animated movie musicals, you know, there are some emotional moments, nostalgia moments that kind of bring up a lot of the feels, if you will. Um, maybe make the, makes those tears a little watery, make those lumps in your throat a little bit bigger. I call these dusty room moments. So, Nicole, let me ask you, are there any dusty room moments for you in Aladdin? Um, not in in its uh, current form, no. Okay. The one That one song that was cut out of it. Ah, we'll talk about that. Yes, yeah. that is my dusty room moment. Gotcha, gotcha. For me, there's really two. I mean, I think... I don't know if I would call it a dusty room moment, but certainly a goosebumpy moment is is the beginning of a whole new world. That that song will always, when you hear the piano, mm-hmm. and the, I mean, just the beginning of that song. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous song, and knowing that this is the last film with with Howard Ashman working on it, it, mm-hmm. it just takes a whole new meaning for me. Um, and then I think the end of the movie when yeah. when he sets the genie free that that gets me a little bit, but especially now. Having you know lost Robin Williams right. and hearing that kind of sentimentality, you know, of that moment, um, definitely, definitely plays it up for mm-hmm. me as well. So those those are my two um, in terms of emotional, you know, moments, so to speak. Folks, we also know that sometimes on the flip side, there are moments in films that that haven't aged well, where you know language or you know stereotypes or you know things like mm-hmm. that that were deemed okay back then, probably not okay now. And I call these yeesh moments where, you know, it's just kind of like, yeesh, probably should have edited that a little bit. And surprising, Aladdin actually has a couple. Mm-hmm. And I'll run down a couple of them. I, I'm sure you probably have some as well. Um, the first is uh, you've got an all-white vocal cast. Mm-hmm. And that is something that 
as in, we we talked about it as good as this vocal cast is there is not a single person of color uh or of arab or you know middle eastern descent among them the speaking roles the speaking roles okay yeah um Lea Salonga, who right. is the singing voice of Jasmine. But um, yeah, needless to say, they got it right <laughs> the second time around with the live action version, where mm-hmm. you basically have an entirely uh, Middle Eastern uh, cast, an Indian cast, which is fantastic. So that's the first one. Also, some lyrics in the songs are a little like, yeesh. Like, for instance, I believe in, in Prince Ali, one of the lyrics is he's got slaves, he's got servants and flunkies. And then in the background, the background vocalists are saying like proud to work for him and things like that. Mm-hmm. So you probably wouldn't say that about slaves. No. Um, he's got slaves. Uh, that, that, that definitely was not, that's uh, <laughs> definitely a huge moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also interesting enough in the theatrical version for the opening of Arabian Nights, the song originally had lyrics called where they cut off your ear if they don't like your face. Mm-hmm. But the line was actually changed to where it's flat and immense and where the heat is intense for all the home video releases because uh. this was where the Arab groups got angry about the controversy. Mm-hmm. And that's where the controversy arose was from those lyrics, so to speak. So that was uh, changed as well. Interestingly enough, also the red letter reference mm-hmm. later in the film, also kind of a yeesh moment, if you will. How so? Well, I looked this up and apparently the origins of red, red letter – it comes from the Bible, where in old Bible publishing, anything that was any quote by Jesus was done in red letter ink, making uh, marking its importance and symbolism. Mm-hmm. And then since then, in popular culture, like other books and things like that, have done the same thing. But it originated from the Bible, and just from this movie specifically, having a character that is more than likely Muslim mm-hmm. uh, or Hindu. Uh, depending upon where you want to say mm-hmm. Agrabah is, um, having her re- mention a biblical, you know, Jesus, a second, you know, a New Testament thing, kind of a yeesh moment, if you will, for me. I don't know. That that might be pushing it. A well, I think, it all, I mean, when I heard that, I thought it was more of a pop culture reference than a biblical reference. It could be. Yeah. I mean, so, I, it probably is, and then it just, it, but it, yeah, its origins are, are with the Bible, which I mm-hmm. thought was pretty interesting. Um, how about you? Any yeesh moments? Just the amount of of women in bras and sheer pants, and yeah, that's probably the design aspect. That's probably the one that you know. Yeah, I just I felt like the amount of time just showing off breasts and things like. I mean, I know we're looking at I Dream of Jeannie as kind of the model for some of that, but even that is a little yeeshy if you're looking at, you know, costuming and things. I mean, Jasmine, we know that when they've updated some of her outfits, it's much more apropos mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of uh, just, she's show, they're all showing a lot of skin. So That's true. That's true, especially for a Disney movie, no yes. less. All right, folks, we know that sometimes with these movies, not every question is answered. Not every mystery is solved. And I call these lingering questions. Nicole, let me start with you. Any lingering questions about Aladdin? I've yes. got a couple, but go ahead. Yes. Why is Jafar's neck piece flesh-toned? It looks like his head is like casting a strange shadow over the rest of his body, when in reality, I think they meant to just give him like a gold neck piece. But it's too close to his skin tone. It looks very strange. I, I and don't it have has an bothered me my entire one. life. 
<laughs> that that <laughs> bothered since you since I was a little kid that has bothered me. Um, is when Jasmine sets the birds free from their guilt, from literally their like golden cage, but she is still in a cage. Is that supposed to be making a comment or am I looking too deeply into a Disney movie? No, I think, I think you're nailing the, <laughs> but at the same time I said to myself, don't those birds have it better in the cage? Like they're probably being fed pretty regularly. The water's pretty <laughs> much available. I mean, they're in the desert for yeah. God's sakes. So when she's letting these by the way, they're also doves in, in the desert, which you usually don't see anyway. Um, I just thought to myself, like, but isn't Jasmine a dove in the desert? When she leaves the castle, she doesn't have it better. I, She's in danger. I she doesn't I, have I, food. I, she I doesn't can't. have money. Yeah, but she's—I mean—a human. I don't know. I—I I just thought I was like, wait, those birds probably had it much better in the cage than they did out of it. I don't know. Interesting question. All right, I got one for you. Okay. Why is Yago the only animal that can talk in this movie? Uh, because Disney has very strange, it's very strange anthropomorphic tendency. <laughs> now I do know that originally when they were creating the film, um, Raja, and also because parrots can talk. Well, yeah, but he's the only one that can really comprehend. I mean, just I know. his level of comprehension compared to other animals in this movie is very inconsistent to me. In, in a the way. world of Richard Scarry, why is a worm a talking friend? But he like they own cows. Which one was that? In the world of Richard Scarry. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> the animal know. hierarchy, I don't understand. <laughs> Let me also ask you this. Why is no one surprised by a flying carpet in this movie? Like, everybody's like, oh, cool, it's flying carpet. Like, I, like well, when, because I think it's understood that magic exists. In this world. In this world, magic exists. Even though there's no real trace of it. But than, no, the, the tiger cave and no, like all that like magic exists. But like I just thought it was interesting, like when when Prince Ali, you know, they burst through the doors and he's meeting the Sultan for the first time, and the Sultan's like, "Oh, it's a magic carpet. Oh, cool!" And it's like it's like a new car. Like, oh, you've got a you've got a Bentley. I mean, you've got a mm-hmm. magic carpet. Would you like a ride? Sure. And like, you know, later on in the movie, when when Aladdin, um, you know, jumps off the the balcony and he's you know the magic carpet's there, and you know, Jasmine's not like, "Oh my God, it's a magic carpet." It's like no one really freaks out the fact that there's a magic carpet with a personality right <laughs> it's just like the reaction well i think even i mean like again i think you're looking at it from a rational standpoint right when the few rational characters that there are already believe in magic and then when you look at the sultan and jafar and all of that jafar uses magic mm-hmm. the sultan has enough money to buy magical things i mean he has a pet tiger for God's sakes, like, yeah. <laughs> so I don't, I don't think it's a far reach. Let me ask you this: How, what was the altitude of the flying carpet ride during the whole world? Because let me just run down the the geographic locations: I know. Egypt, Europe, China. Egypt, ancient Greece, and then they end up in China. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, were they flying at forty thousand feet? I mean. I don't. They got a little Santa magic, a little, little bit of magic on that end as well. And then the final question I had: this is actually a pretty legitimate one. Um, I call it the I call it the this movie could have ended in five minutes. Question: Why does it take so long for the Sultan to realize that as Sultan he can change the law, saying that Jasmine doesn't have to get married? Like we go throughout this entire movie, and at the end of the movie, he's like, "Oh, that's right, I'm the Sultan. I can just make a law saying that she doesn't have to get married." Or that she could pick her own, mm-hmm. she could pick her husband. It's I equate it to the um, 
the moment in Beauty and the Beast where the the father is going down the path, and you know he gets you know he just he doesn't follow the right path, mm-hmm. so to speak. If he just follows the right path, the movie's over. Same thing with this movie. It's like you're the Sultan. Like it just for me, I needed something a little bit more for looking at it as it from an adult standpoint to say, right. oh, okay, that's why she can now choose who she wants to marry. Right. You know, can't. Be- I mean, I think though, from a kid perspective. Uh, the idea of always having to follow the rules just because they're the rules mm-hmm. is a really well, yeah. easy idea to right. connect to. So you can connect to Jasmine because she has to follow the rules because mm-hmm. those are the rules, whether they make sense or not. I mean, think of all right. of the rules that our son has to follow that don't make any sense to him, mm-hmm. but we understand them as important. Principles. Well, yeah. And I think it's, I think it would have been fine if like there was a lesson to be learned or like, you know, um, but for me, it's like for the Sultan to reverse policy, like it cannot be just well, a no. realization again, that he I, could. It doesn't make any sense. No. And it, it doesn't. That's I a really plot hole. Think That's a plot hole. It's a plot hole. And I think the only reason it was there was to justify Jasmine feeling rebellious right. and to have the kids in the audience connect to a rebellious character. Right. She's breaking rules, but they understand what it feels like to want to break. I mean, them. I think, and again, I haven't seen the, the updated live action film, but for me, like you correct it by maybe like misinterpreting text or, you know, like the laws or, you know, making, or him trying to change the law and Jafar getting wind of it. Or right. Something, something, like something something's gotta be, it's gotta be more than just the Sultan realizing, Oh, by the way, I can just change the law. Um, all right. So let's move into the next category, Nicole. We know that sometimes these casts that we see in the final product are not the first choices for these roles. So I like to call this section, would this movie have been better with X person cast in this role? And with Aladdin, we got a couple. So let's start by the character of Jafar. The original first choice for Jafar was Patrick Stewart, who had (laughs) to turn it down and this is actually what Patrick Stewart is quoted as being one of the biggest regrets of his career is that he turned down the role of Jafar in Aladdin. So let me ask you this. Would this movie have been better with Patrick Stewart as Jafar? Um, me viewing it as a child? No. Me looking back on it now, I if I saw it as an adult, I don't think I'd be able to distinguish the two. Like I, I like who's doing it now. Right. Also partially because this whole time I thought it was Tim Curry. So. <laughs> well, interesting enough, Tim Curry was also considered for Jafar. Okay. <laughs> which is probably why he's British right. in this movie. Actually, so is the Sultan, by the way. Um, yeah. Again, interesting choices, no matter what. But um, yeah, Tim Curry was also, Tim Curry was also one of the uh, people considered. So would this movie have been better with Tim Curry? Actually, Tim Curry. Yes. Okay. <laughs> also interesting. Um, casting what if Danny DeVito as Yago. Oh. I mean, we we eventually got Danny DeVito and in Hercules, Hercules yeah. but he was the original first choice for Yago. I'm glad it's Gilbert Godfrey because I don't see. It's the only time I would say that. <laughs> yeah, well, I think if parrots are generally thought of, I think by most people as a little bit obnoxious. Mm-hmm. So I, I think Danny DeVito is not obnoxious i think he's you know like fed up and always kind of like there's an irritable, irritable surly type of quality right. to iago but i think yeah. iago isn't just irritable he's irritating right and gilbert godfrey does that without 
taking it too far. Right. The other two actors, uh, other than Danny DeVito and uh, Gilbert Godfrey that were considered for this role, was also Joe Pesci. And see, and that's a Danny DeVito type thing, yeah. I think. Yeah. And then finally, for the genie, Nicole, I don't know. I, the answer might be no, but I'm going to throw some, some fastballs at you anyway. Albert Brooks, who oh, eventually we no. saw as in Finding Nemo. No. No? Okay. Oh. He actually had done – he actually was offered the role first, actually did some vocal work. So there's actually tape that exists of him oh, doing the genie. that's terrible. <laughs> okay. How about Eddie Murphy? He was also considered. We finally got him in Mulan, but – Yes. What'd you, what would you think of him as a genie? I'm not opposed to it. It would be a completely different characterization. Right. But Eddie Murphy is much more – outwardly funny like robin williams is outwardly funny mm-hmm. albert brooks is introspectively <laughs> funny and it no no gotcha no. final final one uh that was a real finalist for the genie steve martin oh i love steve martin i know you do um no different it would be different it would be it would be different and again i think he is too much of a thinker that's a good point. That's a good point. All right. Well, folks, let's move on. We know that with these movies, you really need to have four key areas just firing on all cylinders for it to be a strong movie musical or animated movie musical in this case. And that, of course, is the singing, the dancing, acting, and design. So what we like to do is go down to each category and rank it one through ten, one being the worst, ten being the best. So, Nicole, mm-hmm. what was your rating for singing in this? One through ten. Uh, ten. Yeah. Yeah. Strong all around. Lace mm-hmm. Longa, Brad Kane, mm-hmm. uh, just doing incredible work. Even Robin Williams. Yeah. Who, up to this point, we had no idea could really sing. No. I mean, he's doing kind of a character voice in a but way. It works. But it though, works. Because he's a character. <laughs> yeah. It really works. Dancing, kind of not applicable. No. The guards danced like monkeys at mm-hmm. some point, which, I mean. He's dancing camels in front like me. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't think it's applicable. So. Yeah. There you go. Uh, I felt the same. Acting. Uh, a nine. Yeah, I give it a ten, honestly. I think it's one of the better vocally acted. Is this the first time you've ever given something a higher score than me? <sighs> Maybe. I'm usually a harsh <laughs> judge. Um, yeah, I, I just thought I just thought everybody was doing so well in their roles. Um, mm-hmm. you know, even even in Aladdin, you know, it's just, you, you get that generic, you know, leading man, but it, it works. It, it no, really he's, work. he's still charismatic. Yeah. And I gave it a nine just because I feel like, I don't know. I can't see their real faces. So mm. it's hard for oh, me that's to true. tell. That's true. That's a good point. That's a good point. All right. How about design? How would this, how does this movie look to you? Um, With the caveat that I don't know if it was authentic in any way i feel like it looks like the storybook version of what the middle east would look like Mm -hmm. um and i mean obviously it's based on a story so there you go um the only thing that i didn't love was the use of neon colors i felt like that i mean neon didn't exist well that's a good point and i know again i know magic exists i know there's you know, all of that. But in the beginning, like the pinks, like the hot pink smoke, it like under the opening credits and things like, I just felt like that just. I, I do like it when you nitpick 
certain things. I do. Wow. I do. I love it. Um, I, I gave it an eight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just thought, I thought just visually it's, it's a stunning film. Not as, not as elegant as like a Beauty and the Beast mm-hmm. is, but definitely in terms of color, spectacle, no, beautiful. grandeur. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, folks, we know that when we're adapting some of these you know, movie musicals, not every song makes the final cut, especially when you're adapting it from the stage to the screen. And often with animated movie musicals, we don't actually get the first category, which is numbers that we needed. Mm-hmm. But in this one, we actually kind of have a couple mm-hmm. options there. And Nicole, I'll start with you. Yes. What's the song that was needed in this movie? Well, it changes Aladdin's whole story. So I don't know if it was needed story-wise, but the song Proud of Your Boy that was cut is really touching and Mm. gives him more depth as a character. Mm. And whenever I hear it, it makes me cry. Yeah. It's a great song. And it's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. I'm so glad they included it in the Broadway musical. Um, They cut it because they cut the part of the mother. Mm -hmm. You know, for a lot of people that might not know this, Aladdin in the original cut had a mom who was constantly just getting frustrated with him and had it up to here with him, so to speak. And that's when he sings this song while he's basically tucking tucking her into Mm -hmm. sleep. And it is absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous song. But this was the era where we started to see um, Disney do this thing where for like basically three straight movies, their characters didn't have a mother. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Ariel didn't have a mother, Belle didn't have a mother, Aladdin didn't have a mother. Um, and then finally you get to Lion King and then you mm-hmm. have a mother. But um, it, it was interesting. I, to this day, I still don't, don't know why they cut the mother out of the movie. Granted, it does. The movie does flow pretty nicely mm-hmm. from being truly an orphan, but it's just it was an odd choice and um it is a gorgeous song i remember when i was in high school and getting into college it was this song had kind of reached almost like an urban myth level like hey did you ever hear the song it was kind mm-hmm. of from aladdin because once napster came out um you could actually find it like the original cut oh. cut of alan Menken singing it mm-hmm. and so this mystery recording of a song that was um uh done for aladdin was out there and mm-hmm. i remember hearing it for the first time and thinking that it sounded just like santa fe and there are parts of it that yeah, do, that sound, do like santa sound like santa fe, santa um yeah. from newsies but um i'm again i'm so glad they they put it in there and if you actually get the special edition dvd that came out mm-hmm. probably what like almost 10 years ago yeah um there's a beautiful rendition of it sung by uh clay, clay aiken, aiken. Yeah. and um yeah definitely get that so yeah that that's probably that's up there for me numbers that we could do without Anything that you would cut out of this movie? Uh, no, actually. I feel like all the music is really well placed, even like all of the reprises, mm-hmm. especially my favorite is the one at the end when Jafar turns into a genie and is singing. Like, I, yeah. I feel like the Prince, the Prince Ali reprise. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's all used really well. Yeah, I, I do like the one jump ahead reprise mm-hmm. as well. Um, just again, and again, we don't we don't get a lot of reprises in these Disney movies. I mean, no. Belle has one, um, and that and and that's really about it. So yeah, no, this is it was great seeing that that kind of Broadway reprisal you mm-hmm. know, type of thing. Um, numbers that you're going to fast forward to in this movie. If you only have five minutes to watch Aladdin, what are you going to go to? Uh, Prince Ali. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I like it. Um, I'm gonna go to a whole new world. Mm-hmm. Couple reasons: one, love the song, nostalgia. It's also my high school girlfriend and I's song, by the way. It was like our song. <laughs> I know it's a little awkward to bring up to you That's as being really my silly. wife, and also you know who my I know school, exactly who, who my high school really. girlfriend yeah. was, but this was our song. <laughs> And I'm just going to go deeper. I'm going to do a little TMI on this podcast. I used to sing it to her over the phone <laughs> to sing her to sleep. She, oh God, I hope she's listening. Oh, like, you know, she'd be like, if not, I'm going to call her and tell her you told me. There'd be times where like, she, you know, we'd be talking on the phone till like nine o'clock and you'd be like, all right, let's go to bed. And she's like, you know, okay, can you sing the whole world to me? And I think it did both parts. <laughs> of course you did. I think I did the whole song. <laughs> Oh, man, I can't believe I just said that in this podcast. That's really <laughs> funny. I'm going to have to tell her you told me. <laughs> All right, folks. We know with this podcast, we give out some pretty prestigious awards. The first is, of course, the Julie Award. who We give to who we feel is the best singer in this movie. So really, few candidates in this film. But, Nicole, who are you going to give your, your Julie Award? Um, the guy who plays Latin. What's his Brad name? Kane. Brad Kane. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to give it to him. He does do more singing. He does more singing, and he also does more powerful singing than right. Leia Salonga in this. Mm-hmm. If this was a different performance, if this was Miss Saigon, obviously it would be Leia Salonga. Right. But, I mean, she only gets a whole new world. Like, right, that's, that's it. She sings, and so. it's not a powerhouse song for her when she can do powerhouse songs, yeah. but he sings through the whole movie. Interestingly enough, in the new uh, live action, mm-hmm. they give – jasmine a new song called okay. speechless and apparently it's it's i listened to it it's not bad it's mm-hmm. not bad um it's re- written by pasik and paul so there you go um i agree brad kane forgets my julie mm-hmm. i didn't have an, a russell crowe for this one no yeah not applicable how about your bumlet award who gets your bumlet award for your background character supporting character extra like who, who does it go to i have two one is gilbert godfrey okay. because he qualifies yep I I just I still get a kick out of him. And where a lot of the jokes in this movie don't make me laugh as much as they used to, um, he still makes me laugh. Um and also the guy who played um the fancy prince who was like, You are born a street rat, you'll die a street rat, blah blah blah. Um, I like him. Wow. I know. He's he's super mean. He but is. I, I could quote his line forever <laughs> only the rats or only your fleas will mourn you <laughs> <laughs> only the rats will mourn you yeah. oh no yeah only your fleas will mourn you you're right <laughs> um i had a couple a couple candidates the guy who says another suitor for the princess another suitor for the prince <laughs> only one that speaks with really a middle eastern accent in this entire movie i love him like oh Robert, i i i take that back uh dazim azim Adele Dazim, um, <laughs> and then of course Robin Williams is the peddler um, as well. Um, also, got to give it maybe to, gosh, I'm gonna, I'm also going to say the tigers and bears in Prince Ali. Mm-hmm. When the camera is on them, they do this like pose of like, hey, the camera's on me. Like they smile. <laughs> it's freaking hilarious. It's a really hilarious take. Uh, well, and that's like I struggled with this because I wanted to say robin williams for all the other roles that he plays Mm -hmm. like when he does the parade commentators yes he's genie but he's also (laughs) like 
I do want to, what is your favorite, I mean, this is, this is getting off topic, but what is your favorite Robin Williams moment in this movie? Um, whether it's an impression, whether it's an ad lib, an improv, anything. I do think it's the parade commentators. I think they're my favorite. <laughs> Those are good. I love it when, um, like I guess it's like he's trying to remind Aladdin that he's supposed to set him free. Yes. And he whips out the script to Aladdin. And he says, "Your yes. mind is, <laughs> Jane, you're free." Like that is so freaking funny. Um, amazing. And folks. Do yourselves a favor, go on YouTube and just look up Robin Williams recording Aladdin. You can watch like videos of him doing stuff in the booth. It's phenomenal. Even impressions that didn't make the final cut. It's it's awesome. So definitely do that. Okay, final question. It's kind of an interesting one. Usually it's should this get a remake? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, you know, it's well, too it late. Did. Yeah. <laughs> it, it has. The remake is not it's gotten very mixed reviews. Mm-hmm. I would say mixed to bad. Not mixed to good. Oh, really? Yeah. I've only heard good things from people who have seen it. Oh, granted, they're only people I know. I don't read. <laughs> yeah, you don't. You don't read the reviews. <laughs> but everyone I know has really. The liked audience it. scores are pretty high. Yes. That, that's a good thing. So, um, and I Wait, guess. So, what are the reviews saying? That it's it's either a it doesn't like it's either doesn't live up to the original animated film. Um, or it's like a shot for shot remake and why even make it, you know, it's like, right. that's okay. like, and, and obviously Will Smith doesn't try as he might, doesn't come close to what Robin but Williams But he's not do. Robin Williams. Exactly. And he never was going to be. And, no. you know, I think, you know, when, when they, when they announced that they were going to do this, first of all, I, I'm against all these live action remakes of animated films by Disney. I would much rather than do original stories. I think the one that I'm like most okay with was, the Jungle Book was awesome. Okay, The Jungle Book. But also, uh, M- Melissa, Melissa, M- M- <laughs> Malfeasant. I can't pronounce. <laughs> you know, you've never been able I've to. never pronounced this right. And even when people say it to me, I'm like, yeah, isn't that what I'm saying? No, it's not. <laughs> anyway, that movie, I'm okay with because they're taking a different you know, spin on a character. So if they did this movie and did a movie on like Jafar or something like that, eh. you, it's at least more interesting than this. So I'm against all these live action remakes of these films. Um, having said that, I also like the opportunity that they, at least Disney's trying to get things certainly right with the rep- mm-hmm. when it comes to representation. You know, from what I hear, Mulan has basically a ninety-nine point nine percent all Asian cast mm-hmm. um, and things like that. So, again, I you know, they're I like the correctionist, if if you will. Mm-hmm. But let me ask you this, Nicole: Should this have gotten a remake? Should any of these movies be remade? Um. I'm okay with it. And usually I'm very anti-remake when it comes to movie musicals. Mm. But I now that we have the capabilities to make magic seem real, uh, and watching our son watch, again, it was just The Jungle Book. That's the only one that I've seen. I saw him. Um, now I'm not going to be able to say it right. You've gotten in my head. Maleficent. Maleficent. Yeah. See, uh, I, Maleficent. No. <laughs> so you, like, say, you say it. Uh, Maleficent. Maleficent. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate I hate this name of this movie and this um, character. But I don't, I'm not a huge Angelina Jolie fan. Uh, well, they, there's part two coming this fall. So I know. Get ready for fine. that. It's fine. The soundtrack was good. Um, but 
it was so cool because he was like, the animals are really talking. The bear is really singing. And it was just, it was a new way to bring excitement and joy to those movies. Sure. Right? Sure. And, and for I'm, kids, I think it's great. Like kids, well, and that's just kids aren't going to care. And right. we've had this argument before that a kid's movie is still a kid's movie. Adults can go and enjoy them, but what is the, who's the movie really catering to? Right. Right. Yeah. There you go. It's not catering to critics. Mm-hmm. And it, I could say it's not even catering to adults. So. Right. So, well, and the ones that, that it is, it's like we want your nostalgia money, you know. Well, and for the people that I know that have seen it, they said going in with an open, completely open mind, not looking at reviews and all of that, just going in looking for a good time. They said they had a good time. There you go. That's and, all that matters. Yep. Awesome, Nicole. Mm-hmm. Thanks for doing this tonight. Of course. I know it's late. Had yeah. a long day. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate it nonetheless. Absolutely. Um, folks, a lot of amazing things happening on the Onstage Blog Network right now. We've got a slew of new podcasts. We have a slew of new podcasts on their way. I cannot believe how far we're going. I'm just going to say one of them. One of them is based in South Africa. And it's going to be talking about the theater scene in South Africa. So we are stretching here at Onstage Blog. So get on board. Get on, get get on this train. <laughs> I mean, choo choo. Choo-choo. <laughs> uh, but yes, you can listen to this podcast and all of our podcasts and onstageblog.com by looking up the Onstage Blog Network. You can also hear it on Spotify and iTunes. We're going to be here next week talking about a little movie called Gigi, which <laughs> when we talk about yeesh moments, my God, that's like. <laughs> That's like the enti- is a huge moment. That is, the entire movie is a huge moment, but we'll we'll break it down. And actually, my co-host for that is literally a girl named Gigi. <laughs> so I'll be, I'll be talking about Gigi with Gigi. Um, and uh, again, just keep keep updating because we've got basically enough podcasts where basically we have a new one coming up every single day on this network. That's crazy that I can say that out loud. Um, amazing and that's all because of you folks so thank you so much also be sure to like us on facebook like us on twitter follow us on instagram the whole nine yards just by looking up on stage blog because it's all there but anyway nicole thank you again absolutely Appreciate it. i love you i love you too <laughs> and folks we're ready for bed <laughs> and you are ready for you are falling asleep folks we will see you right here next week on the movie musical shake have a good one about a chef. And in the end, should someone die? <laughs> My arm is complete again. I bet you want to know why I shot the bastard. You're fucking mad. I hold a PhD in horribleness. See you at the aftermath. Peace. <laughs>